It's Friday, August 12th. Welcome to the Prosody Monstrosity podcast. Prosody is all of the things that one says other than the words. It's the pace, the flow, the pauses, the timing, the, the, the pitch, the cadence, uh, the rhythm, the, all, all the things that are said without the words. And monstrosity is just this monstrous thing. Uh, today's podcast is on some monstrous things. And uh, maybe some good news, maybe some bad news. Uh, definitely going to take a, uh, a look at some of the um, kind of bigger bigger trends and concerns um, in order to add to better discernment, enhance your survival, uh, help align that infinite, wild, undomesticated, uh, just that, that spirit that is wild and free, uh, how to be more infused and invigorated and supercharged by that wild free spirit within the confines and limitations of our material body. That's really what prosody, monstrosity is having a conversation about because prosody, monstrosity is an extension of the cracked Liberty Patreon. That's a mouthful uh, if you want to reach out before we before we dive into today's podcast, if you want to reach out and join the Patreon, that would be amazing. Find the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Cracked Liberty. You can always just do a Google search, Patreon, Cracked Liberty. If you forget Cracked Liberty, think of that Cracked Liberty bell. And it's Cracked Liberty just without the bell. You know, the cracked Liberty Bell, I was born near Philadelphia. And uh, I'm also a uh, direct descendant of one of the signers of the Constitution. Uh, I grew up for a portion of my life next to McDonald's and Jiffy Lube. You know, uh, fast food and, and uh, cheap oil changes. So, um, you know, there was some... Uh, some Americana there, you know, just like it's horrible growing up to McDonald's and Jiffy Lube. We never could open our windows for, for a certain amount of years because of the, um, the French fry, the grease, the, the way the breeze blew pretty much all the time from McDonald's right past our house. We were literally right across the street from a McDonald's and it was a very busy McDonald's on a very busy four lane highway and the four lane highway had a little median strip down the middle. And this is right outside of Philadelphia, right on the border of Philadelphia. Um, and that road we lived on, if you just got on that road, it would take you right to Independence Hall, right to the Liberty Bell. It was the, it just took you right there. Now you had to stop at a million stoplights and it took about 45 minutes. But if you, if you spent that 45 minutes and hit all the traffic lights, you'd be right there uh, where Independence Hall is, and right next to Independence Hall is the Liberty Bell, and it is cracked. And the whole story of the Liberty Bell is like 
it's like a comedy of errors. It's a com. It's just a comedy from beginning to end, um, and that symbol oftentimes is the. It's it. There's a depth of meaning of where my own roots are from, and and some of the interesting pieces of history of that Liberty Bell. Um, you know, there's just a whole bunch of interesting things that I could talk about. Um, one of them is that one of the last times the bell was ever struck, there's these little sort of pathetic ceremonial things where some dignitary might like gently tap it. But the last time someone really tried to let freedom reign or sorry, freedom ring throughout all the lands, let liberty ring throughout all the lands, um, and to the inhabitants thereof, uh, you know, that's written, it's the, the bell is made out of bronze, you know, it's this huge, heavy bronze bell and it's got a big crack up in the middle and it's all held together with these like Frankenstein welds that sort of look like bolts. And, um, and the last time someone tried to ring it, uh, they had a three or four pound mallet, like a little mini handheld sledgehammer. And, and, um, when they tried to ring it, uh, they were tackled by federal agents that guard that bell 24-7. So it's, it's just this deep irony that this symbol of freedom is cracked and broken, and it's also kind of in a solitary confinement, like it's a, like it's a display at a freak show, uh, guarded by um, carnies, except the carnies are wearing, uh, you know, their... their green and tan federal agent, uh, you know, national park, national service, federal agent, uh, they're armed guards, you know, um, if one of those guards writes you a ticket, it's a federal crime that they're, they're accusing you of. And so the last guy who tried to ring the Liberty Bell, he was, uh, represented in court by my little brother's best friend's dad. So, um, that man was an attorney in Philadelphia and he represented this young man who traveled from somewhere in the Midwest or something, you know, hitchhiked his way to Philadelphia and went in there and, and he, he was a, he believed in the message on the bell, you know, and, and the bell had this quote from Leviticus that was, you know, let Liberty, uh, let Liberty ring, let Liberty shine and ring throughout all the lands and all the, all the inhabitants thereof. And he was tackled by armed guards and, uh, and he was charged with damaging the bell, which is just hilarious. That bell has been cracked and dented and broken. It's fallen off shelves, you know, during train rides when politicians were traveling with it. Uh, it, it, the whole thing is hilarious. You know, I think that, uh, the bronze foundry in London, that, that the early colonialists ordered it from, it was like the most famous foundry in the world. I'm pretty sure that the British people who were running that foundry, you know, played a practical joke on, on the Americans and sent them a dud and it wouldn't be that difficult to make a dud of a bell. You just have to like add some other metals in it to make it a little less, um, you know, resistant to cracks and stuff. So 
the very first time the bell was ever rang, the, the people in Philadelphia all sort of put their hands over their ears because as one uh, person, a newspaper reported of saying, is that one of the citizens watching it get rung for the first time, it, it sounded like two coal shovels smacking together. So it, it, it never had really a good sound. Uh, it was commissioned, I think, to ring in a, like a C minor or something. Um, I can't remember. I think it was like a C minor. Um, you know, notes, notes have frequencies that stir emotions differently. And the frequency of that emotion that, that the people who commissioned it, they wanted it to, you know, cause a feeling of reverence, prayerfulness, and so the the frequency that it was going to ring in was going to be this like reverent prayerful frequency and at the time bells were used you know f- to commemorate births deaths fires meetings um you know they were used to to call the citizens together in in times of emergency public events and and in that time you know almost every neighborhood would have been ringing a bell. And so that was the other thing is that a lot of the inhabitants of Philadelphia already were hearing a bell over here and a bell over there and a bell over here. And, and there was sort of a, there was sort of a frustration of a lot of the citizens with all the bells that were ringing over here and over there. And, and, um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to, um, we've kind of, we've kind of gone from this like public bell ringing to just our, our phones ringing or our, our little, you know, ding, ding going off on our phone or whatever. Um, so similar, but different. Um, um, so some of, some of what on cracked Liberty, I like to talk about is history. It's important to look at some of the historical things, you know, where we were and where we came from. And these are just facts and it's, it's important, I think it's really important, especially as a man, to have a sensitive understanding about facts. And I think that's what wisdom is, is, is a sensitive understanding about facts. So recently I've gone fishing with some incredibly wise people. Like one of them's an amazing carpenter. One of them's an amazing teacher of primitive skills and wilderness survival. Both of them have taken me fishing and both of them are just these excellent fishermen. And it's like watching Jesus do miracles where, where almost every time they, they cast the fishing line, they have a fish on almost every time. And it's just like watching Jesus do miracles. Now, that to me is the embodiment of wisdom. And it's the embodiment of a sensitive understanding of facts of factual reality, of real-time factual reality. And the fact is, history didn't go anywhere. It's just like that fishing line. History is like a root of a tree. It didn't go anywhere. It's a lie to, to decapitate history from the present moment. And so like that bell, that Liberty Bell has all sorts of history that people have forgotten. There's hilarious stories about it. There's amazing stories about it. The War of 1812, the British came over here and the citizens of Philadelphia were worried that the British, because they would, they would have melted it down and turned it into cannonballs uh, to fire upon, you know, Americans. So uh, some of the Philadelphia folk 
kidnapped the bell, put it in a um, underneath a bunch of manure in the back of a um, like a horse driven carriage, and they the the citizens that did this did it in the darkness of night in the cover of night and they were worried that british spies were watching them do it and that they would be busted for doing it just down the road and so they they organized to have other carriages with manure and when they got to like a crossroads where where five different roads split off in different directions they did a bunch of little maneuvers and each wagon took a different road so that if there was a spy following them, the spy, it was like uh, that, that game of cups, you know, where you like, which, which cup is the ball under? They'd basically play the game of cups with, with the Liberty Bell. And they took that Liberty Bell to a church that was well away from Philadelphia. I can't remember the town or the church. Um, it might have been up in, um, I want to say it starts with an M, not the name Maverick. It reminds me of the name Maverick. Malvern? I think it was the Malvern Chapel. We used to wrestle against Malvern Prep when I was in uh, high school. Um, I think it was hidden in the Malvern Chapel. I might be wrong, but I think it might have been. And they buried it under like hay and manure, you know, underneath a church or something for a good while until they could bring it back. And um, no one quite knows when it cracked. Um, I think it cracked, um, you know, I can't remember exactly when. It, it, it was damaged, I think, the very first time they rung it. It might have cracked, like, right away. So then they commissioned another bell. Some of the history is lost on me, but one of the variations of the bell was made by a foundry in the Philadelphia area or New Jersey area, somewhere right in there, but they weren't a bronze foundry. They were an iron foundry, which is very different. But these iron workers were like, we can make a bell. And, um, so they sort of did it not having experience. Um, and so the, the history of the bell has a lot of twists and turns that are interesting. And, so here it is today. It is illegal to ring it. If you try to ring it, you'll go to prison. <laughs> That's just hilarious. It doesn't ring. It's in a sort of a freak show, solitary confinement, where ironically, well-paid federal agents look after it all day. They just stand there like security guards. So there's sort of like this occupation. And it reminds me of communism, where it's it's government-employed, It you know, those... Those federal agents are probably each making eighty-five thousand or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever they're making to just stand there, and I'm sure one of them looks like a busted Pillsbury biscuit can, and she's probably horribly out of shape and wearing a mask, and the other guy is wearing a mask, and they they've both been, you know, triple vaxxed and double boosted, and in order to stand there working their government slave job because the government doesn't want to pay them their pension you know they don't they don't want to keep paying their pension when they retire so hence the mandates to get vaxxed and jabbed to shorten the lifespan to not have to pay that pension because let's dive into the history starting right now 1992 is a very important date to remember in U.S. history remember this date 1992 where were you in 1992 were you born uh, I graduated high school in 1992. This is a very important thing. Picture a 
Picture the side of a mountain going up, 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 up altitude. Picture a graph that starts kind of flat down low and then it climbs altitude. So it's like a mountain gaining elevation. Picture a graph that's going up, 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 up like that. This is a fact, a historical fact I'm about to drop. From 1776, the birth of the United States, the birth of the Union, the birth of America, freedom, all these things, uh, a liberation uh, from the Church of England, from a theocracy into a democracy or a republic. That, that uh, decoupling of a codependent relationship with England, all of a sudden you've got this independent republic. That independent republic was a new... Uh, entity and that new entity you could really look at it as like a resource acquisition corporation you know like it's almost like a corporation left england uh uh did a hostile takeover where where they're like we don't want england being part of this corporation we want the resources for ourselves and we don't want to give in give those resources in the form of taxes or or a slice of the pie. We don't want to give that to the old world. We want to keep it for ourselves here. Close the gate behind us. We're independent. We are now a corporation that just did a hostile takeover. That's the new republic. That corporation, the new United States, let's just call it what it is. It's a corporation. It had an upward mobile trajectory where the re because of resource acquisition, because of... of oil and gold and water and granite and marble and and uh uranium and and cobalt and platinum and cadmium and all of the resources beaver skins buffalo tusks you know carolina parakeet feathers <clears throat> for fashionable hats and all these things the upward mobility of of the wealth generated from all of that resource acquisition, acquisition that that corporation was, was just kicking ass. More profits every year. More profits every year. That created an upward trajectory where the children of parents would become wealthier than their parents. So from 1776, the graph climbs like Mount Everest. It just goes up, 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 up in America where... where from 1776, the children of their parents would be wealthier than their parents, and then the next children wealthier than their parents, and the next children wealthier than their parents, and it just goes up, 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 up. So the wealth of each family, uh, you know, the children are now living in a bigger home. They have more resources, and then the next children are living in a bigger home. And, and the way that they measured this you know, historically, economically, statistically, sociologically, they measure it with all sorts of indicators of wealth. You know, the how many TVs does the family have? How many homes? How many cars? How many garages? What's the square footage? What's the, what's the bank account? What's the amount of acreage? All these things. And, and the graph is just astronomically up. It's just upward mobility. And then 1992... There's just a precipice, a cliff. And since 1992, it's been a, a rapid decline. 
which nobody really ever wants to talk about because that would embarrass shareholders. It would embarrass CEOs. So since 1992, there has to be a lot of lying, a lot of fudging the numbers, a lot of lying, a lot of scandals, and then a lot of innovation. Let's put innovation in quotes. Like, how do we create a divorce industry? How do we really amp up that divorce industry? How do we make a lot of unhappy people through fragmenting the family through divorce and then create a self-help industry? Oh, the self-help spiritual industry gets born. How do we create a diet, a big, huge diet industry? How about a dating industry for all the single people in their repeat breakups and divorces? And on and on and on. <clears throat> so all sorts of all sorts of extra innovation happens to try to uh, it's sort of like when you're falling out of a tree, like uh, you're up in a huge pine tree and you're hitting branches on the way down. Uh, it's sort of like this innovation of putting branches on the tree to try to slow the free fall of the collapse of the empire. So 1992, the empire is like rapidly collapsing. And so what we see post-1992, that's, that's kind of the height of the Bill Clinton years. That's a lot of Pinocchio, like a lot of Pinocchio stuff starts going on. Um, just all the black market stuff. Drugs, cocaine, weapons, sex crimes, pedophilia, like all of the black market um, sex slaves, you know, like, like this is where sort of Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Clinton and, and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. And so that's 1992. Uh, Joe Biden has a sweet mullet. Um, he is a, uh, Republican in Democrat. He's like Republican in blue clothes, though. He's got like a different uniform on, but he plays for the Republicans. He's all about like, you know, tough on crime, three strikes are out. So the prison industry just goes, just explodes. Um, Clinton is in office when, when the reality of the Iran-Contra scandal really kind of blossoms where we couldn't really hide it that Ronald Reagan and, uh, Oliver North were found and convicted to be guilty of importing um, drugs on Air Force, you know, cocaine and heroin on Air Force uh, jets into the United States and, and spreading all these drugs through CIA-contracted dealers throughout cities of the United States and giving tons of free weapons and selling weapons in the streets of, of all the big cities, Detroit, L.A., uh, and then taking that black market money and then funneling that into other covert operations in places like Nicaragua. And so Reagan and Oliver North were found guilty of doing that, but all of the momentum of that was already like full steam ahead by the time Bill Clinton's in office. So all of these undermined black market things are happening to try to keep the empire from just falling into collapse oil companies fudging their numbers. Um, now, part of the thing when you have uh, children no longer getting wealthier than their parents, now capitalism is pretty much dead because capitalism is, a, is, is built on a model of like perpetual, 
unlimited, infinite growth. But now that that has now died. 1992, it's in free fall going the opposite way. But, but you have to keep the illusion alive. But that's the reality. 1992, it's in free fall. But capitalism is, is really a... Uh, it's kind of like a euphemism for unlimited, infinite, eternal, perpetual growth. And that's really an impossibility when you understand life, physics, a wave pattern, which if everything is the frequency of a wave pattern, it just can't be perpetual up all the time. But 1992, it really drops. Now, 1992 is when innovation, all the innovations of how to keep the empire from falling into, into free fall, uh, picture where Bill Gates is in 1992. Bill Gates is like really sort of given his little like, you know, virus, antivirus flex in the form of like uh, antivirus software. And Bill Gates is kind of like a superhero in 1992. He's kind of like a cult leader, a, a, a guru, um, a, um, you know, catapulted. This is, this is how plausible deniability works. Like partly why, uh, you know, fascism is when, when corporations run governments. Well, big resource acquisition corporations that need the cobalt and mercury and aluminum and, and boron and lithium and, and rubber for the tires and the, you know, big resource acquisition companies, um, their hands their hands are tied because of government regulations like, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency, you know. So, so the corporation's hands are tied because of these government regulations. But if the government can figure out how to funnel a lot of tax money, sort of like steal the money from the people, funnel it into a puppet like Bill Gates, and then give that Bill Gates person unlimited power to be an unelected uh, spearhead for, for resource acquisition, uh, it just eliminates a lot of the red tape. And then it creates plausible deniability where it's, it's really hard to go after a corporation. So if you just put Bill Gates as the godhead of a philanthropic organization, he's very protected from lawsuits and liability through plausible deniability. There's all sorts of underlings between him and, you know, it's like he's at the top of the ladder, but to get to that godhead, you'd have to slay 20,000 other dragons to get there. And there's all these levels of plausible deniability where Bill Gates is just untouchable. And he's an unelected leader who's really there to just access resources with ease. And that, that easy access to resources is just ultimately about money. And so, you know, fast forward to now, that's the roots of some of the history of Bill Gates. Fast forward to now and you know, Pfizer just, you know, quadrupled their profits last 
you know, while everything else is tanking, the drug cartel, you know, tripled and quadrupled their profits. Uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, quadrupled and tripled their pro, uh, their their profits. Their friends, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, quadrupled, tripled their profits because they're in the same um, the same game. It's the same Godhead at the top of a resource acquiring entity. I mean, if Amazon is anything other than a a resource consuming entity, but then the the CEO of it's untouchable. And there's all these layers of plausible deniability. And then and then all the red tape from the EPA and all these things is just it's just out of the way. They don't have to deal with deal with it anymore. So it's 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 hard to just call it fascism because it's not the corporations running the government. It's more like um a feedback loop of 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 a very fake puppet government to just sort of distract us, you know, like that game of shells. Uh, it's to just distract us and give these, these red herrings. Oh, the FBI just raided Donald Trump's house. We can get obsessed with that for a while. You know, we can get obsessed with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial for a while. We can get obsessed with, um, you know, the, the horrible, uh, 1984 type Orwellian news that the Biden administration and the Democrats are trying to hire 87,000 new IRS agents that will be uh, having license to kill. So these new 87,000 IRS agents are, are have a license to kill, you know? So it's like when we talk about being distracted by those things, I'm not talking about distractions that are lies or that are smoke or mirrors but it's they're giving us horrible things to make us salivate. It's like when Stalin, and this is a fact, Joseph Stalin hired Pavlov to try to see... Pa- Stalin wanted to see if you could create a society without empathy. If you could socially engineer empathy out of people. What is empathy? Empathy is in feeling. So can you make a people who just don't have a healthy relationship with that in feeling. You know, faith is the feeling when you know something's true. So can you create a society of people? Can you socially engineer a society where people no longer have that feeling of when something's true? They no longer have that soft spot for their neighbor or their friend or their family member. Uh, It's, it, can you create a society that's all up in the thoughts, up in the head, instead of the body? And it's interesting, the head versus the body, because I always wanted to do a book on the... Um, we hear about the communist revolution, like the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie is compared to the head. The, the proletariat is compared to the body. But on an individualistic level, like... I say like way too often. On an individualistic human level, the body, it's like the body has no longer an appropriate relationship with its own feelings. Everything's up in the head. 
And a lot of the things that are up in the head, I want to spend some time poking fun at, ridiculing things like astrology, human design. Uh, those are just examples of things that put us more in the head and less in the body. And, and we're going to take a deep dive down some of those just absolute... Um, it's like someone like Pavlov gave us astrology. It's like someone like Pavlov gave us human design. Stalin hired Pavlov to see if you could structurally, socially engineer a society that no longer had empathy. To me, the symbol of that's the Liberty Bell. The, the Liberty Bell, the, the intention behind it was the sound to ring freedom throughout all the land to, to where all the inhabitants thereof would hear the sound of freedom and know what freedom is and feel the vibration of that sound. That's been socially engineered by federal agents to not let that happen. I want to just skip the record over do a different track right now. And we're going to come back to things like astrology, human design. We have to poke fun and ridicule those things as being very problematic. Because they're, they're gaining in popularity. The, the mainstream is astrology. The mainstream is becoming human design. And that, that's so concerning. It's, it's as if Pavlov is winning, Stalin is winning, communism is winning, the collectivism is winning, and the, the masculine ability to have sensitivity to reality to the facts is losing and that sensitivity and reality to the facts is that father with his son on the banks of a clean clear river fishing for rainbow trout and knowing that they have a trout on the line it takes great wisdom and intelligence and sensitivity to catch that food to 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 catch that miraculous shining beautiful trout it takes sensitivity to know facts to be in truth let's let's skip records for us uh, uh let's skip the groove on a record because here's some stuff i want to talk about for the men out there here's one of my concerns for the men out there men we're gonna rip on the ladies in a minute we're gonna make fun of astrology and human design and um, we're going to really make fun of the ladies here in a second. But man, I got to say something because this one keeps coming up in my soul and spirit. And then I'm afraid to say it for some reason, which means I know I have to say it. Um, BPA. BPA is, what does BPA stand for? Um, BPA is... Um, uh, what is that stuff? Um, it's interesting because Robert F. Kennedy Jr. responded to me recently. I got to like do a little text back and forth with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about BPA. Uh, who invented BPA? BPA. It's well documented that BPA was first synthesized by chemists in 1891. However, 
The first mention of BPA was made in a scientific paper in 1905 by Thomas Zinkel of the University of Marburg, Germany. Hmm, let's, let's, just, let's just remember Germany. We talk about Germany a lot. Uh, let's see here. Chemists synthesized the chemical bisphenol A. Bisphenol A. BPA. It's called bisphenol A. Bisphenol is B-I-S-P-H-E-N-O-L and then the letter A. And it's called BPA. Uh, once again, BPA was first synthesized by chemists in 1891. Uh, in the late 1930s, check this out, scientists discovered that BPA acted as an artificial estrogen. BPA acted as an artificial estrogen. The estrogen imposter would have been used as a pharmaceutical hormone. But a more potent synthetic estrogen called DES was invented, precluding the use of BPA. So BPA, BPA is still used. And how is BPA used? It's in all of our plastic. How else is it used? Men, this one is going out to you out there because BPA is, that's what they line beer cans with. And recently I was visiting a buddy of mine and this is one of these things I forget, you know, a friend is like, Hey, can I grab you a beer? And it's just like, heck yeah. You know, I'm not going to turn down a frosty cold beverage from a friend. Delicious. Hot day, cold beverage. Wonderful. Thank you. Crack it open, start drinking it. And I'm just enjoying it. You know, I'm not, I'm not in my thoughts. I'm not in my head. I'm not sitting there thinking about it. I'm just enjoying the feeling of the cold one. And maybe I'm two beers deep. And let's say I'm visiting that friend for 10 days. And over the course of that 10 days, I don't know, I lose count. You know, all before I know it, there's a, a big plastic you know, garbage bag full of recyclables to take down and get some nickels for all those empty beer cans, you know, before you know it. And then, and then somewhere in that haze and fog, this little fishing line of this sensitivity is like, hey, 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 I just want to remind you that those aluminum cans, because food reacts with aluminum, that aluminum can is lined with BPA, just to remind you, and it's leaching into the beer. And it, 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 it's not water-soluble, it's not breaking down in your system, and it really doesn't leave the human body. Like, you drink it and it stays in the human body. And what is it? It's, it's estrogen. It's, it's synthesized estrogen. It's a, it's a plastic estrogen. It's like a chemical estrogen. So what is it doing? It's, it's chemically castrating you, bro. That, it's chemically castrating you, dudes. And they knew this in Marburg, Germany back in 1891. They knew this. This, was, this, wasn't, like a, this wasn't an accident. It's similar to when Stalin hired Pavlov to try to make 
humans no longer have empathy. The scientists, the trust, the science scientists, created a synthesized estrogen. Why? Population control. It's like a topic nobody wants to talk about. It's a topic that if you talk about it, you get heavily banned and censored and all that stuff. Population control. It's been going on for so long. Marburg, Germany, chemists, scientists synthesize this chemical castration product. And then they line all of our food containers with it because it's not just the cans of beer. I ate a can of pinto beans tonight. It's really convenient to just take a can opener, open a can of beans, when, especially when you're living in a bus. And what's more cowboy than a can of beans, you know? Uh, a lot of cowboys today put that can in the fire and heat up their beans right in the can. They're really getting a big dose of that BPA just melting right into their food because the cans are lined with BPA. All of my big plastic water storage is, is, is BPA. Plastic is BPA. Uh, interestingly, Amy Gooden, Goodman of Democracy Now! Sadly, Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! became woke and maybe she got extorted, but somehow Democracy Now! is, is part of the wokeism vector. Uh, back in the day... I want to say around maybe 2007, 2008, there was a humongous, uh, it was a very narcissistic type of awakening where narcissism is where the image doesn't match the reality. That's also delusion, where reality doesn't match with the, with the belief system. So back around 2007, 2008, People started being becoming concerned that the that BPA was in our plastic, and the 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 plastic industry, the plastic industry, which is just a big industry that's tied into petrochemical industry, and it's tied you know companies like Roman Haas and you know plastic industry has got its tentacles in absolutely everything from auto parts to ketchup bottles. You know it's just from Glock handguns to everything, everything's plastic. So the, the plastic industry in a, in a type of evil jujitsu, they took that problem that people were being awakened to and they hired a humongous team of attorneys that were, uh, recommended from the tobacco lobby and they just used the tobacco lobby tactics in order to dupe the people and to double their profits. They saw this as an opportunity to dupe people and double their profits. So what they did is they convinced the uh, people are very easily uh, swayed and convinced. They just convinced people that all you need to go do is buy new Nalgene, you know, camping water bottles, those Nalgene bottles, the 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 big sort of five gallon bottles that people have holding their water. Um, they just convinced everyone, yes, those have BPA, get rid of them and buy new ones. So everyone got rid of their BPA plastic bottle and bought new plastic bottles that said they don't contain BPA. They just lied. The new ones were no different than the old ones. Both have BPA. This is what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. confirmed recently because I made a comment 
on his children's defense page, children's health defense fund page about BPA and about that whole scam. And he reconfirmed that, that it was a big scam and a lie and all that. So it was kind of cool. I had a little back and forth with, with one of my heroes. I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is absolutely amazing. He's married to that beautiful actor, improv actor, comedian that was in that show, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, I have like a massive crush on her. So amazing, uh, amazing husband and wife right there. Um, so BPA is in all the plastic. They never took it out, but they duped everyone to buy a new water bottle. And in, in, uh, capitalism, that's, uh, that has to do with how to avoid a consumer crisis. So, a consumer crisis happens to businesses all the time. You know, if you are a shoe manufacturer and you made a shit ton of shoes and everyone loved your shoes so everyone bought a pair and you kept making them, well, eventually everyone already has a pair. They're not going to buy a second one. And then, and then your production didn't slow down. You were so stoked that your production just kept going and now you have a warehouse full of shoes. And nobody to sell them to you because no one wants to buy two of the same. So you either have to convince everyone that they need a second pair or you need to go conquer a new territory that doesn't have access to those shoes. So George Bush Jr., during a big era of consumer crisis in the United States, the war in Iraq wasn't just about oil. The war in Afghanistan wasn't just about lithium and heroin and all that it was to avoid consumer crisis, you know, to expand market and territory. If you look at a place like Iraq, really nobody drank alcohol in Iraq. Like people that are in Islam, Muslim religions, uh, Islamic culture, they don't drink alcohol. So just the alcohol industry could all of a sudden have a whole new market if they could invade Iraq. The cell phone industry, people in Iraq didn't have cell phones. You could expand the cell phone industry in Iraq. In fact, the very first bill that Paul Bremer signed in Iraq, he was sort of the, the first unelected leader in, in Iraq before, before elections were held. Uh, the very first bill that was signed was a cell phone bill giving, you know, certain durations of cell phone tower rights to Verizon, to AT&T, to, you know, each company got their 5, 10, 15 years of rights to just dominate the market. And that was the first bill signed. The other thing just to mention about the war in Iraq, because it's the thing we're all not uh, talking about, yet we all know it. Intuitively, we know it. We've heard people sort of mention it, but we're, we're not looking at it. And it's frightening that we're not looking at it is the water situation. I'm on a river right now. It's one of the creeks that runs down from the great Yellowstone National Park, National Monument. Yellowstone's basically just a massive, huge volcano. And surrounding that volcano is like a big ring of a mountain where like the whole top of the mountain blew off way back when. So it created a big volcanic ring. Uh, and there's watersheds all around. So water is flowing down from all these peaks. Well, the river I'm on is really beautiful, 
but it's recommended, you know, that you don't drink the water because it has so much platinum and cadmium and mercury and all these things from abandoned mines and mines that are running current. So I'm in a dilemma where I'm not really supposed to drink the water out of the river, but all of my water storage in the bus is BPA and you just, it tastes horribly toxic. So I'm getting progressively dehydrated. The days are really hot. The sun is frying. I'm sweating. I'm not taking enough liquids in because you can't drink the river. You can't drink the plastic. And that, that acceleration of the pollution of our water is accelerating so fast. And guys like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. are the ones talking about it. You know, that most of the rivers in the United States, you can't even eat the fish out of it. It's too toxic. You definitely can't drink the water out of most of them. Uh, so, this is where we're at. It's not just the free fall economically. It's like our creeks and rivers, which, which are our inheritance for our own health. Uh, we can't drink them anymore. Our water is getting so quickly toxic and polluted. So BPA is a natural, um, it's not natural, it's a synthetic estrogen, which chemically castrates men. And then what's the most heavily used herbicide in big ag, big agriculture? Atrazine. It's the most heavily used chemical sprayed all around the world. That's in our water. It's in all of our aquifers, all of our water supply, all of our reservoirs, all of our fish. What does that do? That chemist chemically castrates men. So we're getting it in our beer cans. We're getting it in our water. Uh, and then glyphosate. Glyphosate is the other most massively used chemical. Glyphosate is sprayed all over the corn, the GMO corn, that gets turned into the ethanol for our fuel. So now that our fuel is like 10, 15, 20% ethanol, we're breathing glyphosate fumes from burned glyphosate from this glyphosate GMO corn. And that's, that's one of the reasons they duped us with this thing they're calling COVID-19 because all of the symptoms of people that are living in the cities breathing that ethanol, that glyphosate ethanol, they just are like horrible flu-like respiratory symptoms. So while yes, they probably also created some creepy, um, you know, they just tweaked, tweaked a thing in a lab and released that. It's like the reality is like a hall of mirrors, you know, to be sensitive to the reality. One of the things to be sensitive is that that glyphosate car exhaust is causing a lot of symptoms that it's very easy to just label those symptoms under an umbrella that's just the the trend of today. It's just the popular trend to use that label, that terminology. And it allows uh, for all sorts of, uh, it, it, it allows for all sorts of deception to continue to just make everyone look over here instead of over there, you know, that's going on. So men, uh, I don't have anything against alcohol. What I do have is against the BPA lined cans and you have to consider the glyphosate 
that really um, cheap wheat. I've worked in a couple beer breweries, and it it's rather um, frightening when you see low-quality, like the type of grains you wouldn't even feed a horse, um, cheap glyphosate grains get boiled, 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 and then fermented. So it's, it's, it's glyphosate GMO grains being boiled into a very, uh, picture that glyphosate grain now sitting inside a BPA lined can and you're drinking synthesized estrogen that's chemically castrating you. And my concern is that it's um, dulling a type of wisdom and sensitivity and strength and, and, and um, fierceness of, of like a wise, strong, fierce male. But part of the reason why men are consuming that kind of stuff is because men's balls are in a vice in a lot of other ways because their wives have decided just like Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, in the Bible, kind of the very, the very like thing that gets that whole Bible story going is the story. It's like, it's like pretty much right in the beginning. If I were, if I were writing the Bible, I'd be pretty proud of the story of the Garden of Eden. It's quite an interesting, it's a very deep story. Uh, and I'm going to just break the depth down into, into something um, I think it's important to understand some of the meaning in that story. There's two trees. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Garden of Eden is like a little paradise with a wall around it. When you, when you track the, the root of the word paradise, the, the ancient Greek word of paradise means a, a garden with a wall around it. To me, that garden with a wall around it represents our own body, our own self. I am a garden with a wall around me. It's important to have a boundary. This is partly what inspired Cracked Liberty, is that my spirit is wild and free. My eyes, I can look hundreds of yards away with my eyes. I can smell. Today I was smelling a man who was smoking a, a cigar, and he, had a, he put a sweatshirt on. I could smell the detergent in his sweatshirt, and he was about a quarter mile up the river just the slightest breeze was coming down the river and I could smell him like he was right next to me. And so, you know, the spirit is more of that realm. It's limitless. I'm, I'm connecting to this man far up the river uh, with my eyes, with my sense of smell. So the spirit, the spirit is not contained within the body. Now the paradise Paradise is a garden with a wall around it. The wall keeps the marauders out. The whole thing with vaccines, that was a penetration into the garden. That was an inappropriate uh, penetration into the garden by marauders, uh, by the pillagers and rapists. That, that was the penetration by the criminals into the garden. 
How did they do it? They did it through the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's all about statistics and trust the science. And it's putting up us up in our head, our neuroses, our thoughts. So God said to Eve, Eve is the feminine. Eve is, Eve is the feminine. And if we, if we really look at the uh, masculine feminine as shadeward side and sunward side. Eve was like the shadeward side. She's in the shade. She's the softer. Skin is thinner. Literally, women's skin are thinner. So skin is thinner, more receptive, more about listening, softer. God says, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then the serpent convinces Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she goes to the tree and that tree of knowledge of good and evil puts people up in their, up in their thoughts, in their knowledge. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That knowledge, we think knowledge is going to expand us, make our life more expansive. But the knowledge only adds more, uh, more hall of mirrors, more confusion so when we look at something like astrology, it's more about these categories and, and uh, uh, a Sagittarius is this and a Leo is this. And it's, it's, like a, it's like a big knowledge system that actually doesn't match reality. And then that, that in a way, uh, decapitates or divorces women from their femininity, which is about love and listening. It's really about like this, this deep listening, which is action, which is learning, which is love. But instead, Eve turns to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there's all sorts of things that can be in that tree. Yoga, meditation, astrology, trust the science, politicians, uh, authorities. There's all sorts of knowledge systems. Human design is hilarious. Who's the, who's the whack job that created human design? This one's a pyramid scheme. It's a pyramid scheme cult. That's about, it started in, when I mentioned that year 1992, where the economy starts collapsing, all sorts of Pinocchios, big built Clinton Pinocchio noses, all sorts of Pinocchios enter enter the stage right after 1992. One of them is the creator of human design. He's a total crazy man. Um, his name is Alan Robert Krakauer. And human design somehow merges astrology, the I Ching, uh, DNA, understanding about DNA, um, the planets, um, the chakras, and it's just, it's insanity, but it's a pyramid scheme. And lots of women are into this. And it, it prescribes women a number. One of my friends was so obsessively into human design. And she used to do all these readings on the phone with me. And, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much because it's just insanity. It's just absolute insanity. But it's presented like it's a rational system, a knowledge system. And, and we 
we are hilarious in this modern age about knowledge systems. You know, the, the um, CDC just admitted that depression is not correlated with, it's, there's no link to like a deficiency in the human brain. You know, like people who are depressed, it's not because their brains have some chemical deficiency. The CDC just had to admit that. But think about all the knowledge systems that were presented to us for the last 40 or 50 years that was trying to prove to us through these knowledge systems and how many women were working in there with their science degrees and trust the science. And so, so men... Men are in this catch-22 where they can't say anything about it because if they try to sensitively present facts, like the, that fishing string that has this sensitivity to the, to the reality, to understanding reality, not thought constructs, not trust the science, not knowledge systems, because all of those things are based on formulas, scripts you cannot apply a script if an artist tries to apply a script it's not art if a doctor tries to prescribe a script it's not a healing art it's not it's not treating uh reality uh you can't apply a formula or a script you just can't all of that script and formula application only leads to, to dogmatisms, dogma, rigidity, arguments, uh, delusion. And so all these things, these knowledge systems, whether it's human design or astrology, they're all based on a, a knowledge system formula that's only leading to more delusion where the reality isn't being even seen or understood. Because, because people are so up in their thoughts that they're missing the reality. They're just not there. You almost have to snap in their face and be like, where are you? You're just in your thoughts in this whole knowledge system that you're, you're missing the reality that there's a fish on the line. That sensitivity. So I think that sensitivity is being targeted in men with the BPA and the estrogen. There's a, there's a, a prolonged history of a type of chemical castration. And, and of course, we like cut off part of the penis right at birth. We castrate. We don't castrate, but we cut off the foreskin in the male. Something like 76% of the baby's foreskin cut off. And then start giving them that BPA bottle and BPA beer when they're a man and put atrazine in the water, which chemis- chemically castrates the male. It turns males female. And so the whole shift of our thought construct of being like, what the F is happening? Why are we so obsessed with like gender dysmorphia and stuff? Because we're, we're ignoring. It's like, we're freaked out at the symptom. The gender dysmorphia is so weird and everyone's getting so obsessed with pronouns and all this. And that's, that's very concerning Boston Medical, Boston Hospital, some website in Boston for one of the hospitals just put out the most scary, atrocious uh, knowledge system all about gender and how to how to have corrective surgery and all this stuff, which is only going to create more confusion, more sorrow, more 
uh, health problems. And all of that allows the plastic industry, the pesticide industry, the pharmaceutical industry to just keep deceiving us. You know, keep your eyes over there and don't look at the cause and the fact that the water is getting more toxic and your beer is toxic and you're... So, of course, the marriage is struggling. Of course, the relationships are struggling because the man who's got sensitivity to understanding the reality, a.k.a. wisdom, he can't present that wisdom to the neurotic female that has eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and is believing in sunblock being good for her skin and 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 she's got some belief in some romantic delusion that there's like a better stronger guy out there and she's got some delusional thing that like you know blames her current struggle with you know having a bad day when she went to get her prescription filled at Walgreens and and then her girlfriends are like, it's because Mercury's in retrograde, honey. Mercury's in retrograde. And that's another, that's another example of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not based in reality. And so the not based in reality thing is really frustrating to the masculine. Because that's what the masculine is. It's just rooted in reality and wisdom. But... The masculine also has to just put this mask on because he can't really call out all of this because it's decades deep of, you know, women are the methods and the means of advertising. Marketers and advertisers, I say this again and again and I can't say it enough. Marketers and advertisers target women. Women are the method and the means of advertising. The first branded product ever was cigarettes with these little nudie bikini wearing cards that were like right in the front pocket of the little plastic wrap of the cigarette. That was the very first product to be branded. Sex sells and they took off like wildfire. Tobacco was part of American history, but cigarettes was a, was a branded product. They made a red version and a blue version. Sound familiar? A red one and a blue one. And it was like the sex sells thing. And every industry was like, holy cow, we didn't realize sex sells so well. So sex and fear are the two things that sell everything well. So all of the TV is all about fear, which is what neurosis is. Neurosis is negative thinking, negative response. It's said that the female... The majority of women are neurotic. This is a psychological fact. I'm not making this up. In psychology, the majority of women are neurotic. Why? In some evolutionary way, it makes sense. Their skin is thinner. They have to imagine that there's a tiger in the bush, whether there is or isn't. If the wind blows the bush, they have to imagine there's a tiger in the bush because the tiger can eat them a little easier than can eat a man. There are neurotic, neurotic men. Neuroses is more prevalent than it's not. But there's more neurotic women than there are non-neurotic women. And neuroses is like this first negative response to everything. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. The prosody. You can feel it in the women's prosody that women are just negative. 
that's become the female thing. They're just negative. And so you take that negative neurotic thing, <laughs> sounds horrible, negative and neurotic female, who's now seeking some kind of escape hatch out of that neuroses. So she's turning to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So she can have a superficial smile on her face briefly, like if you gave her a toy. And the toy is astrology. The toy is human design. The toy is a vaccine. The toy is a mask. So you give the neurotic female, neuroses is just fear. You give the scared neurotic female a toy to make her superficially happy for a minute. And the the dude, the masculine, he's just like, oh my God. You know, he doesn't even know where to begin because if he, if he tries to talk about it, she's just like, I don't like the way you're talking to me. I feel attacked. I feel attacked. I don't like the way you're talking to me. And he's just like, oh my God, I can't believe she's saying she feels attacked. I'm like her protector. You know, I'm, I'm just bigger and louder and trying to point out this craziness. And now she thinks I'm attacking her because it's decades deep now, you know, Edward Bernays is the nephew. Uh, th- sorry, the nephew of Edward Bernays is the owner of Netflix. And Edward Bernays was the one who in the 1960s knew that if he could destroy the American family, it would quadruple tax dollars, profits. It would bring in communism, socialism, all these things. So Edward Bernays started the whole sexual revolution, feminism, cigarettes, miniskirts, and they just filled all the women's magazines and shows and movies and soap operas and cartoons and everything. They just, they just brainwashed all the women with sex cells, cigarettes, miniskirts to fracture the family. And part of that fracturing is astrology, human design, And the husbands are just like, oh, God, just give me another BPA-lined beer, because if you can't beat them, join them. Just, I might as well start drinking the estrogen. You know? That's a, that's a little bit of a history tour today, from the cracked Liberty Bell to aluminum cans and BPA and the crux we're in. And if you can't beat them, join them. So most men that are in relationships, they're getting vaccinated. They're wearing masks because they have to just be neurotic. Like their wives and their spouses want them to be neurotic. Misery loves company. That's a fact. Misery loves company. The neuroses is so deep, it's a fish in the water thing. Women can't see it, yet they can. Because it's very common for women to be like, oh my God, my coworkers, all the women coworkers I work with, they suck. The men are great. The women suck. You know how many women I hear that from? So they see it when they're looking at it. They see it. They understand it. They know they've been brainwashed. They know they've been the market, the target of the marketing and advertisers. Let me just say this to wrap this up. And I'm going to say it again and again. 
Marketing and advertising firms target women specifically with 80% of their marketing and advertising. So it makes sense that women consume 80% of the consumer goods, but that's not just things you buy on the shelf. That's the ideology. That's the hypergamy. That's the, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. That's all of the delusion that doesn't match with the reality of what life presents you. You know, life gives you distress. Life gives you problems. Life, but why do we even call it problems and distress? It's just a wave pattern, up and down. Sometimes there's mosquitoes. Sometimes there's black flies. Sometimes there's sickness. Sometimes there's abundance and other times there's not. It's just not always an upward trajectory of awesomeness from 1776. It's going to drop. You know, and it dropped heavy in 1992. And it drops every day. There's an expansion and a contraction every day. You know, come noon, you know, some old guy's on his Harley because he finally got up and he's like, you know, drank some BPA and he's driving his Harley all loud and it's irritating, I know. And then come night, hopefully things quiet down. There's an expansion and a contraction. There's an up and a down. Uh, astrology is delusion. Human design is astrology on steroids. Canned beer is castrating you. It's synth- synthetic estrogen. That needs to. That just needs to stop. And what I was saying about the marketing and advertisers—they target women. But who else do they target? Black people. When you turn on the TV today, almost every single advertisement is women and black people. It's uncanny. Just turn on the TV and you'll see women and black people. That's who's targeted. And all of their research shows that of the most easily manipulated people that believe the advertising, that, that, that absorb it like a sponge and then go out and consume from that propaganda of that advertisement from that brainwashing it's women and black people that's just a fact so every advertising and marketing company targets women and black people specifically that's why we're seeing all this stuff like blm because blm isn't it's not a um it's not rational but it targeted women and black people And so why are most divorces initiated by women? Because it's, it's an industry. It's an advertising and marketing industry that's, that's creating billions of profits. Why get married when you can get married and divorced and married and divorced? It's like, how much does a wedding cost? So let's do that again and again. Let's do it three or four times. The first wedding, women initiate 60% of that divorce for the first wedding. Second wedding, women initiate 70% of the divorce. Third wedding, women initiate 80% of the divorce. And then men are extremely isolated, homeless, jobless, penniless. The gender pay gap is a lie. It's a hundred percent lie. And that's a fact. And any woman out there who believes in the gender pay gap is believing in deception. And that's what hell is. Hell, hell is collective deception. That's what hell is. So this, this 
hellish collective deception of the female that believes in the gender pay gap. Recently on social media, there's been a trend of women starting to realize that feminism is so destructive. It's just been an insidiously destructive propaganda tool, brainwashing tool, this whole thing called feminism. And those same women that are realizing that, they can't see that astrology is the same thing. Human design is the same thing. Vaccines are the same thing. Masks are the same thing. It's all being targeted at the female. And so the men are in a crux because it's like, it's a very real war of attrition where the warrior spirit of the masculine cannot do anything about it because even presenting wisdom, I feel like you're attacking me. I don't like the way you're talking to me right now. I'm going to keep eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But that other tree over there, that, that's the tree of life. And the tree of life is the, is the tree of a conduit, which is just love. And what is love? What is that word love that's been so trampled and abused? The love is just deep listening. And acting from that place of deep listening. If you're really deep listening, you know, from that place comes action. Because then you see the reality right in front of you. Oh, my child looks like my child could, you know, use a bath. Oh, my husband looks like he could use a back rub and a hug and a kiss. A lasagna. You know. I'm going to leave it off on one last thing. If you go on a dating app, scroll around at women's profiles, what you will see, other than seeing that 50% of the women on there are vaccinated, 99% of them have cats, 99% have dogs, 99% have children, what you will see is a shopping list of all the things they want from you. And it's interesting because it brings up this deep question that I think is one of the questions in life we should be asking is, it's not what you can get from the grail, but what can you give to the grail, to the holy grail? It's not about taking. What can you give to it? And I think the thing we can give to it is deep listening and then acting from that place. So when we're drinking that BPA, estrogen, fermented estrogen synthesis, if we're really deeply listening, we go, oh man, gosh, I can feel that estrogen, you know? And a little bit of estrogen is like taking a little bit of testosterone, you know? It's little things go a long way. These hormones are like LSD. They're very powerful. A little bit goes a long way. Uh, well, if, if you want to reach out and yell at me, chemically castrate me, shoot me uh, a text or an email uh, through the portal of 
www.patreon.com slash cracked liberty bell. That's www.com slash cracked liberty bell.